Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Haskincast podcast. We're almost to 50, but this episode is still very, very special. This is the second part of the Marcus Weiss interview from the Marcus Weiss Experience, who you may know from La Rev, the Blue Man Group, Cirque du Soleil's O, the plays that are done at uh, by a public fit or at the Cockroach Theater, uh, amazing, multi-talented, bursting at the seams with creativity guy, as you heard in the first episode, and we're going to pick this one up. And and if you guys remember from a couple weeks ago, there was no good time to kind of stop the interview where it was going to make sense because of the way the dialogue flowed. So we're just going to jump right back into the conversation at the be- at the uh, beginning with a question. Uh, we were talking, I believe, about uh, when we were doing Shrek at the Adelson School a couple of years ago. I was the audio engineer and he was directing that play. Uh, Allison Dingle, who also works over at Absinthe, was doing the uh, lighting and production there. And uh, Angela Chan, was the music director along with Dave Philippus, who was doing an amazing job. Just a, a great, great group of people. Um, these are the kind of people I love working with. They're all very dedicated, very passionate, very good at what they do. I was definitely honored to be asked to be a part of that group. And I had worked with uh, both Angela and Marcus on Brightside prior to that. And uh, just just a great, great experience. The trouble with that theater is that it really wasn't designed for plays. So the audio booth is up at the top of the stairs in the back of the theater, mostly enclosed in uh, in walls and, and glass. And even sliding the window open, you really don't get a good perception of how it sounds out in the theater. So you constantly have to run out and then run back. And then they had a, a fairly small number of mics. So there was a lot of mic handoff that happened and they're They're kind of brittle. So it's uh, it's always that nervousness of, is a mic going to go out? Uh, so, but they're still, they're great gigs. I love working with the kids. I love watching them, uh, how passionate they are, how hard they work. And I was, uh, able to, I also did, uh, audio the last couple of years at Durrell Red Rock school out near Red Rock Canyon with, uh, Marcus's wife, Anastasia and Kate St. Pierre. And those, another fantastic group of kids. And this year I didn't run audio at either one, but I was able to go attend, one of the plays at each of the schools. And it's amazing to see how many kids just, you know, how they grow and they progress and how they hold their passion, how they support each other. Just a, an absolute joy to be around these people and, and be at this events. And even if it's, uh, if it's a year that I'm not running audio, I definitely want to go down and experience what the, uh, whatever the play is this year, uh, which I did. And then next year, uh, I think they're, they're like um, in March, usually, and uh, I'll go again next year, hopefully, and uh, and see the kids again. They're amazing, just just amazing. It's definitely important to support these kids uh, at any of these schools and and show them that you believe in what they're doing, that they uh, they're, they're appreciated for all the hard work and for the effort, and uh, you know, give them a reason to keep going and keep following their passions and letting those creativity, uh, those creative genes, just uh, grow and grow and expand and turn into even more wonderful things. So uh, that's my, uh, I guess, public service announcement for this episode. Let's get to Marcus, though, because, uh, God, the guy's amazing. And uh, it it was just such a great time talking to him. He's a a very good friend, wonderful person. And uh, let's just get right back to it, man. And uh, here is Marcus. I'll be back next week with my special guest for episode 50 
who I'm very excited about and actually just confirmed a few minutes ago, as long as our schedule holds well, then I'll be able to get that recording done and get that out to you on time. Take care, guys. And here is the second part of my interview with Marcus Weiss of the Marcus Weiss Experience. One other thing about that show, which I found really interesting, is that you cast a female lead to play Shrek, which I thought yes. was, was interesting. What led to that decision? Or do you remember? Well, Shrek traditionally, right, is a, is a large, uh, unattractive right, ogre. Right. Yeah. And so, and it's, and, 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 and intimidating and like, oh, you know, you're throwing your weight around and you're grumpy. And then he has this journey of, of, um, ultimately finding, you know, love and happiness by, by embracing the other side of, 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 of himself. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, it, what led to the decision, uh, was a combination of, a combination of things. I mean, the, the, uh, we had to, you know, when in general, but also specific with Addison, when you're dealing with, um, casting a kid's show you know you have to balance capacity with need with uh with, with different things so it's not just um who sort of uh it's about the audition of course but right. it's also about okay who can who be able to carry this and who doesn't have who who doesn't have other you know uh the other other the scheduling you oh, know right. they have to yeah. do with like who's going to be able to be at all the rehearsals that are needed and, and those kinds of things but but in this case really um the young lady was in she was in ninth grade, I believe, at the time. Mm-hmm. Was was not just female, but she was also um, shorter than you would imagine. Mm-hmm. Like even shorter than than Fiona, than the than the woman who then the young lady who ended up getting cast as Fiona, the love interest, right? Right, yeah. And so there was a lot of things where you're like, what? What's gonna happen? But what was most important was just the heart that she brought to it and that she was really you know, in her audition. Uh, really showed a connection to to what it was about in the in the in the scenes and the songs that we sang for the audition, mm-hmm. and then on top of that came the fact that she was a you know she was a musician and she uh, um, and she and she showed that she'd have the capacity to carry it, and then also like well who can play donkey and who can do and who can do this so we had to balance the talent that we had with, mm-hmm. the, with the casting, but really you know she earned the role by by showing that she could do it and um and there was something really interesting and intriguing about it. And I think that in the end, that is what, what read on stage was where this character was coming from, what this character was trying to say, mm-hmm. how this character was living their life, um, which was much more important than is this character tall and, and male. Yeah. It definitely added a, an interesting dynamic when I saw that and I thought this should be fun. And I thought she did a great job. I, I definitely yeah. didn't think that it's any role that has to be played by a male but I like when people stray from tradition sometimes and create new avenues or, or just an, even a new perspective. Yeah. I mean, in this case, you had the, right, you had sort of the advantage of being in a fantasy world in a way, right? So, I mean, who knows what ogres are like anyway? Mm-hmm. So in that way, but I really think that because I really think that people didn't even see two women up there. And then, and uh, and the the young lady, her name was Sarah, who played the... Uh, ogre who played Shrek mm-hmm. was, I don't think she was even playing male. Yeah, she didn't even do anything to like be different than just how she would interpret a moment. Right, and yet, and yet Fiona, who was also a, a lady named Sarah, incidentally, uh, it wasn't a same sex relationship even. 
Right. It was just a relationship. Mm-hmm. Am I am I am I crazy? No. It remembers that way. I think the way that I would say it is is that it was just two entities that had a connection. They didn't necessarily have to be defined as male or female. It's just that, of no. course, and within the cartoon world, they're really not ready to stray away from that traditional uh, idea of what a relationship is. Uh, and maybe that's better because you know, for now, yeah. maybe the kids aren't ready to deal with that yet. I don't know. But uh, well, but I liked it in the play that that it didn't need to be male female. It was just I almost looked at it like two woodland creatures just connected, and they just even and they got married. I mean, it yeah. is 2019. It is yeah. you know in the sense that that I mean, there's a lot of you know there's a lot of gender questions and gender fluidity and mm-hmm. uh, identification versus uh, assignment and um and I think maybe it had to do with that as well. I mean, young people are really super open to that. A lot of young people I find are being really super open to that. Sure. But yeah, it was basically two, we focused on the relationship, like you said, two creatures having it. They could have been, you know, two refrigerators mm-hmm. just falling in love. And then they got married. Yeah. It's just like two, two beings who liked each other. Yeah. It was, it, it was irrelevant. Yes, exactly. And, and I really like that. It became irrelevant. Yeah. We it's made kinda, it, you made it irrelevant. It's kind of like, just, just, let's just, connect let's just connect on a human alive being level and that's all it needs mm-hmm. to be it doesn't need to be defined more than that because if it was mm-hmm. two men two women a guy and a girl what difference does it make it's it's the connection between the two characters that's important yeah and i i really like that you made that decision i have to i don't know if i ever told you that but that i really do like that yeah i mean I, i'm thinking about you know choices of in general you know in my work either as a director or producer or actor uh, when I'm talking about what's real, you know, um, when people talk about reality or believability and something. Right. And I think not always, but sort of in general, it comes, it really comes down, I mean, of course it comes down to context, mm-hmm. but it just comes down to like, would this being, would this thing up there behave in that way under the circumstances that seem to be created, communicated? Yeah. You know? And that could be, so it becomes about like, oh, would a, would a guy do that? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. If that's the guy that you're playing. Right. Yeah. You know, oftentimes people say that about me personally. It's like, I don't behave even in real, you know, in real life a lot of time as a stereotypical anything. Right. And I've oftentimes in my life had people go like, are, are you for real? Like, what are you like? And I'm like, Yes. <laughs> my top liver I'm just me like right this and this is I have, a, I have a hairy chest and a you know what I mean yeah I'm like but this is like what, what do you what am I top liver do you ever just break into song when they do that just sing like see me feel me touch me by the who from Tommy it's <laughs> just no, completely throw them off idea. you know uh, that's a good idea but, but when now when you were doing this play uh, when you were teaching over at Adelson uh, Larev, your time in Larev was already done right they had uh, it, they took out your at the win? your skit yeah the the clown uh, uh, the yeah oh the numbers the clown numbers they yeah. took out the clown pieces that uh, was, they took that out before well, they you just started replaced, doing, right? yeah they they sort of yeah we um the, the I left Larev they changed they they rewrote some of the show and then which then the new rewrite didn't include um our particular uh, our particular character uh and so our particular characters and so that ended i think that might have ended that year mm-hmm. yeah my goodness gracious now i'm losing time of the i think it was that fall. it overlapped a little bit it overlapped oh. actually that was the year that it was kind of come to an end yeah oh yeah it came to an end like in november and i started at the Ad- Adelson educational campus 
in like August. Mm -hmm. I had the pleasure of seeing you in in Larev, and it happened to be on my birthday that you had uh, an extra ticket. And thank you so much, by the way, for that experience. Oh my goodness. Because it was a joy. It, it's always a joy to see you perform, but to see you perform really without dialogue, um, that's a whole different kind of performance. Is that is that challenging or are you kind of accustomed to being just a visual actor? Um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm accustomed to it. Uh, in short, I'm accustomed to it. And I was just reading a book by a, by a, a very famous clown. Um, just yesterday, he was talking about, about words having a tendency to be, to sort of define mm-hmm. things. And a non-spoken performance leaves a lot more room for ambiguity. Mm. And I really, as you might have, as you might have noticed already, and those listening to this, uh, I am not the best at being succinct. You know, <laughs> I, I often think sort of in ambiguities and gray areas and tangents. Sure, and stuff. yeah. So, so nonverbal performance for me is actually uh, just as comfortable as verbal performance. Well, I think it's nice for the audience too. In a way, it's kind of like listening to a piece of music with no words. If you yeah. if you have a, a piece of music with words, the song is telling you what it's about. If you right, have you an instrumental, See? it can become your your identification of that performance and what it makes you feel. You know. Yeah, sure. I mean, sure. Yes. I mean, words can be metaphor. You know, they can be metaphorical, too, allegorical, or whatever it is, and sure. a little more ambiguous. But ultimately, a word, you know, stands for something or some things. Right. You know, and so you're 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 narrowing down the interpretation of what something is. Mm-hmm. I would agree, but it was a great show with with that act in it. I thought, and mm-hmm. at the same time you were doing that, you were still on call at Cirque du Soleil's O over at the Bellagio to sub for the clown. Right, right, which I'm still doing now, actually. Right, which I'm in the middle of. That's right, you are, but you don't right. consider yourself a clown. Um, and I, it's funny. I don't. Mm, I don't label myself at all. Uh, you know, I'm doing clown work mm-hmm. right now. Uh, and I don't, and I didn't grow up, you know, uh, um, I'm, I don't come from a circus background. I didn't grow up in a circus family or, or I, I wasn't educated. Uh, you know, I went to, I got an MFA in acting, sort of classically trained acting. So, mm-hmm. so um, I didn't grow up uh, in the, in the clown world mm-hmm. uh, or, 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 or um, and so I kind of fell into it via Blue Man, which includes some some aspects of clown work and, and, and in my improv. And then and then I got into La Rev, which are which the, the role is labeled as a clown. And then I auditioned for and ended up receiving the work over at at O, uh, where I'm doing a temporary contract, by the way. Now I'm all I'm there all the way through August. Oh. Um, but I don't I don't I don't consider myself primarily a clown, mm-hmm. um, although I'm doing that work. It's, it's really hard work. Oh, and I'm learning imagine. a lot. All I've learned has been, you know, through a couple of you know, um, workshops along the way, but all sort of on the job and the generosity of all performers and directors I've worked with. Yeah. But it, but that, that, oh, the, the part of no, how long is that part, uh, that seg- segment of yours? In O? Yeah. The two, no, one goodness sakes. I should, I should time that one time. I don't know. Um, God, I don't know. It's got to totally be at least five minutes. Less than, less than 15 minutes total. Okay. That's a long time to carry the show, to not have dialogue, to not have yeah. I, it, it seems I speak, like it. I speak a couple of a, a couple of words. Mm-hmm. I say I I I and things like that. Mumble, right? And we mumble a little bit. We make some sounds here and there. Yeah, right. But 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 the, yeah. But the clowns. Uh, but but we do not communicate um, with intel- intelligible words. 
So it is. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's, sure. There's it's, something really intense about that. And and yet you create a, a level of emotion within the audience. They're going to feel for what your characters are going through. And I think the fact that you don't really communicate uh, or have trouble communicating, uh, they really feel that. I know I did when I saw it. And uh, fortunately, I was able to see it the night that you were there as well. Um, but it's really impressive work to me. I think that that's, to me, being a non-actor, I would think that would be a challenge to to carry a show for that long without having a monologue. Yeah, it's. I would just say it's different. I don't know, you know, at this point in my in my career, if I would describe it as harder, I would describe it just sort of as different. Mm, okay. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's just different. I was about to say that, you know, the word, because the words... Hopefully, words are there for to make our yeah. We're trying to express ourselves, right? So it's a level on top of of nonverbal, right? Okay, I can't say this nonverbally, so therefore I'm going to use words. Maybe that's sort of where you know where words came from. Sounds, right? Okay, you're not getting it. I have to go, uh, 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 and then eventually that wasn't enough, and so you add words, right? So yes, yeah, so you could think like, oh, okay, words are easier, but at the same time, words also make people. Um, go like okay well what do you mean yeah right okay now yeah. what does that word mean and so therefore when you're using words you that's another level of of having to be specific with how you say them how you stress them which words follow which other ones how you form your sentences like for me like for me as you can tell being succinct is hard it's actually hard for so for in some ways sometimes for me just making a certain kind of facial expression or, or being, or just being present looking somebody in the eyes is easier. So it depends. And if you're, if you have someone that's active in their listening or their visual, sure. uh, how to make them, mm -hmm. yeah, it makes a difference. Okay. Right. So maybe you could say like, okay, uh, maybe making sound with my mouth draws people's attention more, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? Um, so I think it's just a matter of focus. I think it's a matter of of focus, and there's a there's a level of trust that we have to have in ourselves when we're communicating non verbally. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to be just as specific, and we have, but but there's a level of I think it's trust, not just focus, but it's a sense of of trust that it's a that that that's enough because we're not adding the extra words, and so it has to be a, a trust in both ourselves and in the um, and in the audience. And you did a whole play on this very subject, uh, Small Mouth Sounds, which I want to get yeah. to in, in just a minute. But first, That's right. uh, I want to ask you, so when you were when you're working as a sub on a show and you have especially something that's that uh, lengthy of a segment to do in that show, uh, is it hard being uh, somebody that's on call and not being regular and then just going in and doing that job uh, to just kind of jump in there and, and remember all the things that you have to do in that time frame? Yeah. Yeah, that's generally pretty difficult. Uh, and the logistics, you know, logistics, the, the physical aspect of it in my case is not the hardest part. The hardest part um, of of going in only infrequently is is sort of the is the is the timing of things and the sensitivity of the of the performance, sort of the fine tuning of the performance, and not having the experience of okay, well, this works better than that, and uh, and so that has. So being able to do it now for a couple of months and continuing to do it through August at O, for example, is is, uh, is really helpful in terms of growing in the role and go like, okay, ah, okay, ah, this is this works better. This feels 
you know, this gets a better response or this, this feels more connected than this other thing. But when I came in and we're doing it for like a day or maybe two days, you just don't get, you don't get that much comparison Mm -hmm. or that much opportunity to, to grow. Yeah. So to go in and and sort of X and execute it and, you know, and and execute it hopefully reasonably well, uh, that's, that's okay. Mm -hmm. But, 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 uh, to really expand in the role, it takes some time. Yeah. And so it's been a real gift to be able to do that and be able to have conversations with people. Yeah. I'm really glad you're getting that opportunity now because when, when yeah, I saw true. you, uh, knowing that you just kind of jumped in at the last minute and, and did that performance that, that I was there for, uh, thinking, wow, what could you do if you really had a chance to kind of get up and running in this? And, you know, really mm-hmm. kind of build up your character a little bit more. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, I couldn't even imagine because your performance was so great that night. Oh, that's sweet. You know, to think, well, that's just jumping in though. What could you do if yeah. you had the opportunity? Yeah. Well, hopefully I've only, you know, hopefully I've only grown, but then I have also experimented, you know, I've sure. gone, Ooh, I got the time to try something new. Well, that did work. And that, that completely didn't work. Um, but we put ourselves out there. I mean, hopefully I'm all within the realm of doing the show justice. Yeah. Uh, but thank you for saying that. Oh yeah. It's yeah. been a great experience. And you've done your own one man show. So you're certainly used to carrying the stage by yourself. Uh, how did you like that doing your own show? Um, are you talking about every brilliant thing yes. that I did for cockroach? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that, that, that was, yeah, that was a scripted, that was a scripted show that involved a lot of audience interaction and some improvisational, um, parts of it. Well, there's something about, um, uh, doing, I'm comfortable in, um, you know, I've done, I've done one man things before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, and, and particularly, you know, like strolling characters or, you know, on the, on sort of the man on the street kind of thing. And, um, and there's something, you know, you're able to control your environment. So there's, there's something that's, that's more challenging about it because it's only you. Mm-hmm. And then there's something that's easier about it because it's only you. Right. When we're talking about easy and hard, but it's just different. I don't like putting thing terms. You're still approaching a role. Your, but your, your, your fellow actors are just instead of the fellow actors being on stage and the audience, it's just the audience. Right. Your fellow, your fellow uh, communicators are. It's just the audience instead of having other people on stage. So, um, it's just a different way of of communicating. And the responsibilities on just you. Right. But it's a different set of advantages and disadvantages because if there's people that you don't particularly like to work with and they're on your production, uh, that can yeah. make things a little challenging. But also at the same point, you have no supportive cast and you have to go right. off of the randomness of your audience every night. I mean, you can lead them to a certain extent, right. but there's still going to be whoever those people that purchased a ticket that night are going to be. Yeah. And it's just your ideas for how to deal with it. You know, if you had another person on stage that they could, you know, another another teammate, they could come up with ideas as to, or you know, they could they they're they're going to contribute the energy that they feel uh, is going to you know is going to serve the moment. Right. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a question of responsibility mm-hmm. and being super attentive to the to the mood and and swings of the audience. I would imagine is a pretty big key to the success of a show like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. But for me, for me, that's always the case. True. You know, whether it's a one person thing or not, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, I'm always trying to be aware of that. I suppose in a one man show, you have, you know, more opportunities to respond to those impulses and to that inspiration and to that energy. Right. Because you're the one who's always active. 
Well, and, and as a director too, when we did Still Dance the Stars, you would be with the audience every night and you're paying attention to what's hitting and what's not hitting. And uh, oh, this, sure. this really didn't work. So let's try this tomorrow show or, or whatever. Right. And, uh, the audience is everything. You know, it doesn't matter how good you give uh, of a performance or have a story to the audience if they're not grasping it. Oh, yeah, sure. But of course, once you're doing, I mean, there's there's certain things you can you can fluctuate with. Right. But on the other hand, but at the same time, your, you know, your play is if it's not improvisational, the play is directed, you know, or it's it's you know, you've created it. You know, you you um, you perform it sort of. As rehearsed in some ways. Right. So you've got you've got you've got room to you've got room to uh to communicate but ultimately you're you're committing to the story that you've agreed to tell exactly yeah you know so it's challenging it's challenging in that way because you know you can't just change it up entirely um there's yeah it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting balance you've always got to stay with the same intention the intention of the story overall or the intention of your character in the in the moment right and then and then you you know, then you can play within that. Well, and, and communication with the audience obviously is, is very important. I don't mean direct talking to them, but communicating with the character. And I think uh, the last play that I saw you in Small Mouth Sounds with many of our friends, Timothy Cummings, Dina Emerson, uh, you know, that yeah. was an incredibly powerful play because really the majority of the dialogue came from an off-screen narrator that was mm-hmm. interacting with the characters, but the characters themselves spoke incredibly little. And it was right. all about uh, physical direction from one character to another or mm-hmm. emotional cues that a character would have to pick up on. Yeah. That, that had to be a real challenge to uh, to get that play, make it tangible for an audience. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it took place, the action of the play takes place in a silent retreat over the course of five days. And so, like you said, about 75% of the play is non-spoken, you know, although there's a lot of sound that came through, you know, sounds that we made on stage of whether it was steps or crumpling of paper or dropping of objects or things like that, as well as uh, sounds that were produced by the sound designer, um, with the exception of like a long monologue that I had in the middle and people who broke the rule of the silence, you know, right. So spoken word became really, really important, but what was most I think challenging for the director and us in the, in the process was still establishing what you were saying with every moment mm-hmm. without having lines and then establishing and sensing and then rehearsing when somebody was quote unquote speaking and when you were listening and when somebody was done speaking, mm-hmm. because there was times when, you know, when we needed, when we were overlapping scenes or we were all on stage sitting in a row at the same time and you had to know what was going on so that you didn't quote unquote step on somebody else's line. Right. You didn't interrupt somebody with something that you were doing in silence, right? Because you weren't always looking at each other. So we had to coordinate, um, we, we had to coordinate a lot, like really choreograph or compose or whatever it is or conduct scenes in that way. And you had to keep within a really sort of keep the music of the play um consistent because you couldn't hear when somebody was done speaking right so you all so you had to know what they were doing what was happening and um and then fit what you were doing in between those those things you know what i'm saying right and you have to be very specific you have to be super specific about what your intentions were at all at any given point in time i i can tell you as an audience member and i only saw it once uh but 
it was hard to tell sometimes where I should be focusing my attention because yeah. all of you are in this uh, this room and you've all got your sleeping bags out and you're all getting ready for bed. And I'm not sure who is it I'm supposed to be paying attention to, but I think that's kind right. of the beauty of it is that you can get a different experience by paying attention to what different people are doing. Yes. And that was intentional too, because, because we, you know, the directors, the director, uh, Emery Perth and, uh, and, and Joe Kukun who kind of worked together towards the end, they, they were aware of that. Right. And so some of that was intentional. And when we didn't want people to look in different places, they, they changed it. But whenever you had that impulse, uh, the directors were aware of that and that you're absolutely right. Uh, while the intention may not have been specifically like, make sure we do this. So people come back. It was just like that's an inherent part of the of the play, right? And of the experience that stuff happens at the same time, just sure. like in real life, stuff happens at the same time. And you, sure. and and depending on where you are in your interpretation of the story and what you're perceiving and what you want to do, you'll shift your focus, right? You're like, oh my goodness, what just happened there? That must make that must affect this person that way. Let me look at that character. Yeah, you know, depending on whose story you were following was a. Uh, was the result of how you were digesting the story, you know, whoever you were sympathizing with or whoever you were interested in right. most at that yeah. point. Yeah, I, I know that uh, our, our time is a little bit short today, uh, but I, and oh. I do want to talk to you about Still Dance the Stars. But before we do, I have one more question about this play. Uh, besides it being such an emotional roller coaster of it, the characters going through different things, and if you're going to a meditation retreat, it's all about discovery and things that you're learning about yourself and, and the person maybe that you came with, as we saw in a couple of the relationships there. Um, but you guys had some some interesting things that you did to kind of practice not talking. Yes, we went on a silent re- we went on a silent retreat ourselves. We spent a whole day with the cast, uh, starting early in the morning at the director's house. Actually, we had a yoga session. And then we went in silence all the way up to an area towards Red Rock, went on a three, almost four hour hike in silence, went back home, all, uh, cooked dinner and had dinner together all in silence until the end. So it was approximately, oh gosh, a nine, 10 hour day in silence. So that must have felt like a good 40 hour week, though, straining to not say anything and not communicate. Well, it was beautiful. And for many of us, I mean, it was completely informative mm-hmm. and wonderful. And, and many of us perceived it in very different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, some, for some of us, it was super hard. I really loved it. And I, you know, but I was coming from a place of like, my goodness, I teach and I act for a living. And so I, I relished the ability to not, you know, not to have to speak yeah. for a day. And that was really, really wonderful. Some of us were going through different things in our personal lives and, and, and being silent and, and becoming very internal about those things was hard. Sure. For, for some of the people who did it. If you're not distracted, your mind will occupy itself with whatever it wants to think yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. And, and, but right. I, love that, I love that you guys did the hike. I can kind of see that working fairly well. Uh, but, but cooking a meal together, doing an activity. I love that you guys did an actual activity without talking. Because you have to coordinate yeah. a lot of stuff cooking a meal. How did that go? Well, you just knew what you were, you know, you sort of knew what you were going to do. I think the, I think much of the, some of it was prepped, much of it was prepped, whatever. So we came oh, and we okay. helped heat it up and then, you know, and do the waters and do whatever. Um, and it just to, just to gestures, you'd be amazed at how little words are actually necessary. I think we, we feel the need to fill space. You yeah. know, like if, if like two people can't just sit next to each other and enjoy the, the energy of each other. 
Uh, yeah. It's like we feel we have to entertain the other person with conversation. And, and if we don't, then it yeah. gets awkward. And I, I have a friend that, that I used to be able to do that with when, when we were, whenever we were in the same town, we could just, we could go on a four hour drive or we could sit by the pool next to each other and we didn't have to speak. We could just enjoy being next to each other. And I, I love that when you have that connection with yeah. someone. Right, right, right. Like you said, when you have that level, right, because you're implying that if the connection is really good, you don't have to speak with, you don't have to speak to each other. Right. At the same time, right, we also associate when things are really bad and we don't speak to each other. Right. You don't hear about a happy silence. You hear about an awkward silence. Yeah, you hear about an awkward silence. Exactly. But in our case, you know, by that time, the cast is really close. We were all friendly and friends with each other. Sure. And so, and so making and having the dinner together wasn't awkward. It was only awkward as it might be funny. You know, to the extent that it might be silly or yeah. funny that we can't talk. Like, oh, we don't want to make this. Somebody made a silent joke. Oh, we can't talk though. And that was fun. But yeah. but but the awkward it didn't really feed into awkwardness because we knew each other so well. You know, we didn't have to worry about like why is that person not saying anything? We knew what the context was. We didn't That's have to true. read into it. I don't know this person, this might be awkward. Why are they not saying anything? Like that that part was gone. Mm-hmm. So much of much of our experience was simply absorbing absorbing what was helpful for the show and just and enjoying each other's company well and it obviously worked very well because you guys pulled off that show in spades and and the emotional role yeah, of the coaster you. was very intense uh-huh. uh, but but i think it would be interesting and i think that you guys did have an advantage with the familiarity because most if not all of you have worked together multiple times over the years yes. i think it would sure. be interesting to do that with with complete strangers and still do the same show Right, which is actually what it was in the play. The characters are, most of the characters are strangers. Mm-hmm. Right, right. But to do that in real life, like right. have people that don't have any familiarity with each other and see, as an experiment, see what comes out of that, I think could be well, really fascinating. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. And that's what that's a lot of what comes up in silent retreats. I mean, the context has a big effect on it, right? Are these yeah. people who've all signed up to do a silent retreat, in which case you can sort of assume at least they're on board with it. Right. At least they're all willing to do it. Mm-hmm. But then you, but then you're up against. Well, how are people dealing with it? Yeah, and that was what was the what the play was ultimately about. Some of us had an easier time being silent than others, right? You know, and some of our silences interfered, and some of our, you know, some of the silence interfered with what people felt like doing and felt like expressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so, and that's where a lot of the dramatic tension came from in the piece. My feeling was, I felt everybody was already, you know, all in because you paid your twenty five hundred dollars or whatever it would have been, right? You know, in context to go to this retreat, you're not just going to throw that money away and not, not take it seriously or or try to get something out of it. Anybody right. that pays in, you know, wants sure, it. but you don't know exactly how you're going to respond to it. True. Regardless, right? I mean, the buy in. I mean, yeah, sure. Everybody, everybody bought in with some kind of hope. Mm-hmm. And then they were surprised or less surprised by how they responded to what happened at the silent retreat and were and encountered, you know, intentionally by the playwright scenarios that were that strained their that uh, strained their experience and rubbed up against their hopes. And then you guys did a a fantastic Q&A afterwards, which I absolutely love. And uh, Anne-Marie's plays usually have those. I, I, I love the hearing the different things from the audience of what their perception was and then hearing from the actors. And I would imagine for you guys, it's interesting because you get a different, different perspectives, every performance of what people, you know, what their experience was with the show. Does it make you feel good as an actor to hear some of that stuff? Or does it make you start going, did I play that right? Should I maybe try something different tomorrow? Um, Well, I'm used to them. I've done a number of plays with the public trip before, and I'm sort of used to compartmentalizing those things, I think. Um, 
for me, I see it mostly as an opportunity to to delve deeper into the piece. Right. And it just informs it. it, it, it I, I I use what I can internalize. You know what I can use and internalize, and 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 I don't things that are not useful. And then or or and but also a very very interesting intellectual time. Mm-hmm. which is really interesting, you know, having conversations, but being able to separate those things are important. Some actors who, who performed with them before have a, uh, might have different feeling about, about the talk back. Sure. It might sure. be harder to go like, Oh, it's going to affect my performance, you know, because ultimately we want to keep, we want to be faithful to again, what's, what's been directed and the story that we were trying to tell. Um, yeah. And, and you have to realize too, that, that people are coming from the perspective of the result and they haven't been on the journey. They haven't seen why the person right. has developed their character the way mm-hmm. they have. And it's really easy to judge it in, at the end of the game, how the game should have been played or how they would have done it without sure. having been there for all the, you know, the rehearsals sure. and, and all that too. So uh, mm-hmm. I think it's like kind of grain of salt time. You just have to listen to what they say sure. and go, Oh, that's interesting. Or I hadn't considered that. If of I course, had, but I didn't. So yeah, right. and it's primarily those talkbacks are are for the audience, right? You know, they're there to continue the conversation for the audience, mm-hmm. yeah. and so so you got to keep a focus on that, right? Yeah. Well, so before we go, my dear friend, and thank you so much. I, I know this has been a, a long time coming, and I appreciate your patience yeah. with the timing of putting this all together. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's talk about the one we did together. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Still Dance the Stars. We were the third theater company in the world to do this one, I think it was. Um, I th- yeah, I think you're right. Uh-huh. Third, there were yeah. two productions before, before mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort of they had a rolling, sort of a rolling uh, world premiere for that play. Mm-hmm. Jamie McGann, who wrote the play, had three, had three productions in a row. And the thing is, is that when the play started, you made me kill, the, you made me kill a child every show. <laughs> that's right <laughs> and that's it right. broke my heart to do it because she's so lovely aviana was she, our was our our uh aviana uh fantastic actress wonderful person and i had to kill her night after night and that was a hard thing for me to do i actually like would yeah because because i was on stage the whole time and i didn't have any dialogue but i was present for the whole thing and i would go my sit goodness. like i would kill her and then i would sit down and like inside i would weep that i had to do that like I really yeah. felt bad as a person because I, I mean I know we had to start the play and it had to set things in motion, but like that was hard right. for me to do. Yeah, it was right because it represent yeah it represented because the play is you know, it was about the 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 struggles of a couple who uh, are dealing with having had a stillborn, mm-hmm. and so in the beginning of the play right in the beginning of the play the child did uh, the. the the child, the, the character who then plays the child from beyond in a way, uh, uh, passes away, so that she's then living in in uh, in another in another dimension almost, you know, and then comes back. For those who don't know the play, comes back as a stuffed animal essentially and speaks to the speaks to the parents and all these other characters are from the play come alive in this in this other world, uh, which is the world in which in which. The father and primary and and all and subsequently the wife too process the the events or part of how they process the event. Right. Um, so, yeah, right. I mean, hopefully, I mean, you were almost like an audience member in that way. Yeah, I was in in a lot of ways because yeah. you you had to do something and you had to and then you just dealt with it for the rest of the play. Mm-hmm. But ideally, that's how all performers are and everybody in the space that's experiencing the play. Right. The right. first thing happens, we come into the space. The very first thing happens, and then we're just in it. We're all in it together. Yeah. And some of us speak and do more than others, 
meaning the, you know the performers uh, but everybody's in it should be in a similar predicament yeah it was it was such as a, you were yeah and it was such an emotional play too because you're dealing with uh, you know obviously the loss of a child which is going to strain any relationship and then dealing with their uh, fame that they had had uh, prior to that in inside the story, uh, they became nationally known for a video proposal that went viral. And so right. they're in the spotlight. So then everything you do is scrutinized and they're dealing with the loss of the child, their ending relationship, having to go on camera again and all mm-hmm. these things. And it's, it, and then you're also dealing with the journey of the child who's passed on as well, because she's trying to understand why things happened. And and that play was another just like bright side, a very complete emotional roller coaster. Uh, it had some great humor in it, which uh, was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it had some really devastating moments in it, too. And uh, mm-hmm. it was a tough play to be a part of just just because of that. Even just being there present, it was hard to watch those the fights yeah. between the wife and husband. And, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I, I just I mean, I love the play. Um, and it's so many it had so many you know, layers in it, but it had, but, but it, it was reconciling, you know, a lot of, like you were saying, a lot of different, um, emotional places, Yeah. you know, like it was devastating one moment and then, you know, you turn on a dime and then a stuffed animal will be break dancing on stage. Right. So, (laughs) so, you know, when you first read it, like, oh my gosh, how are we going to, you know, how are we going to pull this off? And I hope that, you know, it was interesting that, you know, that, uh, Levi Fackerel and, and Darren Weller over at Cockroach Theater, the, artistic director and, and producing director asked me to do it. They're like, who could, who could possibly direct this? Mm-hmm. You know? And they thought of, they thought of me uh, because it's something that perhaps I exemplify in real life. You know, one moment he's crying, one moment he's laughing. Um, but I, but I really, I see life that way, yeah. you know? And I, I mean, I, and I experience life that way too. You know, I open my eyes to, I open my eyes to things and, uh, and I go there. And I think that's how we all are. It's just a matter of how we, how we deal with things and how we cover things up or don't, or or don't cover them up. But I think all of us laugh and cry multiple times every day. But I think this goes back in a way to that fearless side of you that you would be willing to take this on. I mean, you look at it on the page and you see the emotional side of the story, but you're like, okay, so wait a minute. Sometimes we're in the real world. And then sometimes we're in like this weird stuffed animal world. But you you were willing to take that on and say there's a way that we can get the audience to understand the difference between the two worlds without having to go now we're entering uh-huh. stuffed animal world. You just uh-huh. you transitioned everything so well, but you looked at mm, this and you, you said I'm willing to take this on, and I don't think a lot of people would be willing to do that. I would think that uh-huh. they would find it a bigger challenge than they would be willing to to go for. And you did uh-huh. it, and it came off beautifully. Well, thank you. I mean, it was a long process to get there. Yeah, it is a lot, but I think, but it's, yeah, it just, I mean, it starts with, you know, hopefully there was a, you know, the, with the team, with, you know, you and the other designers and, um, that I could, cause you wrote beautiful music for it. Thank you. The, you know, that we all worked together to create, you know, the conventions and to create that, the kind of like, okay, how are we going to educate starting from the beginning, the audience to go with us on this journey? Mm-hmm. Um, we all crafted it together, but, but, but it also on all of our parts, I think required this this faith that 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 is something that we as human beings are capable of doing if we just have have the faith you know that it's okay that if something strikes us that it's okay like yes you you're allowed to laugh at that that's okay right that's funny and then then it's okay if something is sad like yes you have permission to be sad about that right 
So it's a matter of sort of peeling off or breaking down those those walls, with, you know, the, some of the stuff we were talking about earlier with regard to children and stuff. Um, if we can, if we can remove some of those, some of those walls or shells or layers uh, that keep us from feeling, that then we realize that life really is that really can be or is that kind of a that kind of a ride each and every day, right? Or can be that kind of ride every day, you know. Mm-hmm. And and even down to the lighting and the the tones, everything was vital to making this show uh, transition the way that it did from one world and one segment into another. I mean, it was meticulous the way that that you worked on this and designed it. Uh, I think that you picked some great people to work alongside you with it, and I think that was a oh, big key you. to the success. Um, I had Katrina Corot on, who uh, played the wife, oh, the lead oh. actor, uh, back when the show first started in October. And, That's right. Uh, and we were talking about it. And uh, by the way, it's been a year now since we were doing the show. I know. We were just wrapping up, crazy? I think, about a year ago. Uh, right. But, but that was one of the things that we were talking about was how difficult the show was to perform from an emotional side, especially her character, oh, okay. uh, who had some amazing mood swings that she had to go with. Right. Um, right. But it was, it was a lot of fun. And I have to say, you pushed me to some really interesting limits because I'm not an actor. And uh, uh-huh. you're like, well, just look down here and flirt with these girls. I'm like, I don't even do that in real life. I don't know what how to right. flirt. But but you made me want to go out there and give the Aww. best performance I could. I don't know that there's too many other people that would have inspired me to do that. Really? Honestly, yeah. Because I saw how much you were putting in, how much everyone yeah. else was putting in. And I thought, if you're going to trust me, I mean, first of all, even just to try trust me to write music for that was was a real honor for me. But to trust me as somebody who's not an actor to be an actor and to not be a distraction, uh, (laughs) that was that was a big deal. You know, if Uh I was pushing it too far, you would let me know, like you told me to stop flipping Jake off, which I did. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, but but I really I wanted to do the best I could because we had a great cast. We had a great crew that put so much into that show from the set design to the lighting, to the, the audio cues, yeah. uh, to, to your direction and the depth, which you dug into these characters to help the actors bring it out. Because I, I was able to be there for, for most of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just so blown away by that. And, and everyone was just wonderful. There was no drama, no uh, diva moments or anything. It was just a great group of people to be around. And, I remember on the last day, I kind of felt like about halfway through the play, I, I was sad that it was coming to an end because as much as I didn't want to be on the stage because I was afraid of being a distraction, um, I didn't want it to end at the same point. I wanted that to be my new job. Like, this is what you do. You go and do Still Dance mm-hmm. the Stars five nights a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, was a tough, it was a tough thing. I mean, you really, you really uh, pushed me to limits that I didn't know I had in me. And I wow, thank you that's for amazing. that. Well, thank you for saying all that. Yeah. I'm still no better at flirting. Don't get me wrong. And I can flirt with invisible people really well now. <laughs> well, that's a start. Yeah. That's a start. <laughs> right. Someday it'll be you real. You got to practice people. somewhere. Yeah. I'm glad I got out. I'm <laughs> glad I could put you, set you on that, on that course. It's a treacherous. It is. a treacherous journey. Beware. It is. Um, unbelievable. Well, thanks so much. It was amazing. Yeah, it was a, it was a wonderful, it, it was an incredible time. And I can't believe it's already been a year. I know. I and know. here we are doing this. But what what do you take away from a show like that? After after all the work that you put into it and the casting and having such a just incredible group of people, and then it's over, what do you take away from something like that? You know, 
you take away, I, I, I take away the memories and I take away sort of what I, what I felt and, and I take away the, the feedback and the faces of the audience. And, and I take away sort of the hope that they carry memories with them as well. And that when they go through life, you know, they go like, oh, that reminds you of Still Dance the Stars. Or that reminds you of something I heard there or, or remember that. Or, or they take something they saw and they apply it to, to a situation in their life. But I just hope that everybody takes away some kind of memory, the actors and, and designers and, and uh, members of that theater community as well. Yeah. Uh, that everybody takes some kind of memory away because that's all we have from plays. Right. Memories and the questions that remain. I can honestly tell you that I will forever be affected by those three weeks that we spent on stage in the months of uh, rehearsals and everything leading up to it. I, when I first read the play, I was like, yeah, I like it. And I didn't understand it. And it wasn't until the first table read that I went to when I heard character voices and I could kind of see the difference between the two worlds where I really thought, okay, now, now I really think we have something, but I was so honored that you had asked me to be a part of it that, I was like, I, well, whether I understand it or not, I'm sure it'll come together and it'll be great. Uh, I just right. wanted to be in because you trusted me to to work on it with you. And, uh, you know, of the most course. personal thing that you could do is ask me to write music uh, with, for course. it. Of course, you're uh, great. Interestingly, you're very, in every way. thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very opening to the show uh, is a piece of music that I wrote uh, as a demo for the newscast uh, segments that yeah. uh, we didn't end up using. But that was right. uh, that was one of the first ones that I, I wrote. And I thought, this is really cool. I think this would be a great opening for the podcast. So I just repurposed it to be the opening for the podcast. No way. Yeah. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. So Amazing. It, it was it was a great time. And and again, Marcus, I, I'll never uh, uh, the, the amount of gratitude that I have for you for all the projects that we've done together, but especially that one uh, is undying. I mean, that was an experience that I could have never gotten any other way. Oh, thank you for saying that. And it's like really the purpose. That yeah. see, that's that's the purpose of of my life. Hope uh, I I hope. You know, when I had my when I had my um fiftieth birthday, Anastasia threw me a birthday party, mm-hmm. and um, there was a lot of people there who it was a surprise party, and she got people to come, and they were all somehow affected by my presence in their li- in their lives. And I suppose we, maybe we all have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that we, is that we like to make a mark on other people's lives. Sure. That's, that's how, or, that's what I like to do anyway. Yeah. Um, both as an actor and as a human and as a performer, director, whatever it is, but primarily as a human being is that uh, if we can make our mark on, on, uh, people one person at a time, then that, then, uh, we're doing our job here on earth. Yeah. I or agree. The universe. I always say if I can make at least one person smile every day, then it's been a good day regardless of if, if bad things have happened. The problem as entertainers is, uh, and, and maybe more so in my fields than yours, uh, because at least you get to see audience reactions is a lot of times I have no idea people are, are hearing or seeing oh, yeah. anything I've worked on. Oh man, good point. And uh, as I was doing research for the novel that I'm working on, uh, yeah. I, I talked to a, a lot of people about different things. And it turns out that a lot of people actually do fall asleep to my mental sauna music every night, or they'll put it on uh-huh. when they need to calm them, or they've listened to one of my holiday albums or something. And I have no uh-huh. idea that people are enjoying my music. I might see oh a number God, a good point. go up on Spotify, or I might see right, especially if it's streaming sold. and stuff. It's right. much harder to keep track of. It's not like, yeah, but even if somebody, yeah, but even if somebody buys a CD, you don't know how often they're listening to it. Or if they even it's liked true. it. Yeah. 
So sure. it's 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 a good thing to know that the things that we put out there they do have an impact on people, and we are putting smiles on people's faces. It, it, we do make a difference. We really of do. Course. Thank you. So my last question for you, my friend. Yes. You've had a lot of great successes, and I'm sure there's been things that haven't worked out as as well as you've yeah. liked. But being right. that you're uh, a bit of a veteran in the entertainment community because you've done so much, and you've obviously worked on some major stuff. I mean, La Rev, Cirque du Soleil, Blue Man Group, it doesn't really get bigger than that. Uh, yeah, true. So what would you, if you're like, what, what advice do you give to your son or somebody that, uh, that wants to one day be you? Well, good luck. <laughs> um, no, I wouldn't. Say, well, you know, they say that luck, actually luck, right? Uh, actually, I say that as a I say that as a joke in a way, but it's but it, I think it's true, because uh, luck is a combination of, right? They say, preparation and opportunity. So, that's what I would do. I would say, like, dude, just you know, follow yes, follow your heart, and either keep your eyes open for opportunities or create your own opportunities, and then choose. How prepared you want to be for those opportunities? Yeah, because I never had a ten-year plan, or a, even a five-year plan, or a twenty-five-year plan. And arguably, I might be in a totally different place if I had, mm-hmm. right? But then again, I got super lucky, which meant I was prepared for opportunities that came along, at least. Because I, you know, I like to say that much of my life happened by chance, but really, but of course, uh, you know, I give myself enough credit to say, like, well, you know, I invested, you know, and I and I tried my best, and and I and I tried my best to nurture relationships and, and all that. Um, but you can do this and you can do that. And I can, and you could talk about, you know, sort of what to do in the business or, or, or how to train or what to do. But really in the end, you can also choose how much we want to invest and how much we want to prepare. Some people make really strong plans and say, this is exactly what I'm going to do. But I can't really very well tell my, you know, I can advise my son, but, I, but I'm also going to be honest about what I, what I did. Sure. You know, which is like, I just kept loving what I was doing that was in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that love, it shows in the auditions and it shows in, in when people approach you and ask you if you want to do something because they sense that passion and dedication that you have as well as the skill to do it. Yes. You know? Right. And yes. At a certain point, I said, I want to, I would love to do, you know, regional theater, be a, the- you know, be a theater actor or be able to you know do this kind of thing that i really admire that i'm watching and I'm like, okay and in order to do that um grad school right graduate school mm-hmm. right so so like that yeah. you know uh but i also really felt like going to graduate school mm-hmm. i didn't really worry about it. it wasn't a strategic it wasn't so strategic i gotta be honest right yeah well you followed your instinct yes and just put fa- and put faith in it well, being that you've you've done so many things now, and and that you've you know, like I said, I, I, honestly, Cirque du Soleil, La Rev, Blue Man Group, right. those are the the top uh, for our industry, at least here locally. Uh, right. What what would you like to do going forward? Where does your uh, where do you see your path heading? Right, because oh, I was going to say because also don't give up yeah. unless you want to. Right, and I don't, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to. I want to moving forward. Um, I want to continue to, you know, um, audition for, continue to say yes to plays both in town and um, outside of town. There's a couple of things that uh, for next season that, uh, you know, the, um, the, the, the my signature is not on the dotted line yet, but sure. things that are that are sort of in the work, both in town and and, and uh, 
out of town. Mm-hmm. So I love uh, stage work. I hope to continue to to do understudy work, to do backup work for Cirque du Soleil. Um, but I also want to continue uh, expanding my teaching and, and coaching, um, particularly private, I think. And I'm working on a one-man show called The Marcus Weiss Experience. Cool. I just finally bought the website, themarcuswiseexperience.com. Excellent. And it's going to have all sorts of like the Marcus Weiss uh, you know, one man show experience or whatever it is, which is a which I'm working on the concept of a of an all improvised one man show. Wow. Um, I want to have the Marcus Wise teaching experience. I want to have the Marcus Wise drawing experience. The Marcus Wise podcast potentially experience. Yes, we're working on that. Um, so so it's like personal services, as my dear friend Reese Davies from Britain once said. Uh, that was sort of my thing. That's my that's my. That's my business. It's personal services. Meaning like, I could see you know? that. Yeah, I could totally see that. And we had talked uh, a while back. I think it was at Vincent's 50th birthday party about doing like a YouTube channel or a podcast kind of thing. And yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, I definitely see people really gaining. And I mean, I've seen you work with adult actors. I've seen you work with kids. I think you're great with both yeah. of them. Uh, I could definitely see a lot of people benefiting from that for sure. And, yeah. and I absolutely wish you the best with that. Uh, Thank you. You're, you know, you're one of the people that honestly, I mean, as a person, as a friend, uh, as a colleague, I just have the utmost respect for there. There's nothing that we haven't done that I haven't enjoyed. Um, I may have been frustrated during it or, you know, because of the production or the pace or, or whatever. Uh, and Ephigenia was another one that, that you and I had done together. That's uh, right. And I'll have to talk to that, uh, to Kate when, when she comes on the show. Uh, yeah. But we've done so much together, and and I've thoroughly enjoyed working with you thank every you. every single time. And, thank uh, you, and I, I with you. Thank you, and and I can't say enough that I, I I'm honored to know you as a friend and a colleague, and uh, I can't wait to see what you do next, my friend. Thank you very much. Keep your eyes and ears open in all performance mediums. Yes, I'll hope to be there. I believe it. I kind of want to see man. you. I, I want to see you do more clown work and I kind of want to see you do everything. Yeah. You know, I want to see you do more acting work. I want to see you be a director more. Like, it's so hard to pick. Yeah. Uh, I know. You know, but that's kind of multimedia a... too. There's like, yeah. there's, there's, there's YouTube, there's online. Mm-hmm. There's of course, you know, right. You know, film and television. Yeah. I kind of, yeah. I, I just got to keep being out there. Mm-hmm. Let's keep being out there. Yeah. I agree. And the more, the more we put out, the more uh, we have a chance of reaching people and, helping them uh, smile in, in a fairly oh. desolate world sometimes. In a desolate world. <laughs> right, right. But speaking of clowning, I'm about to go, and I actually have to oh, sweet. go Excellent. to get to work at Cirque du Soleil on time. We'll break a leg. Just make Thank sure you, it's friend. not yours. And uh, yes. have a wonderful time. Thank you. All right. Take care, Marcus. Thanks for having me. Take okay. it easy. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Seriously, I don't even know how that guy keeps up with himself. He's just so bursting with bright, shiny creativity and passion and willingness to work and put in the time and do whatever he's got to do to make the productions that he works on the absolute best that they can be. And let me tell you, to go out in front of, I don't know what the O Theater seats, 2,500, 3,000 people, um, to go out in front of those people a couple of times a night and be just with one other person carrying that show for a good 15 minutes. That's that's a lot of pressure, but he holds it well. Uh, stay tuned next week for episode 50 with my special guest. Sign up for the Haskin Cast podcast page and be entered for my monthly drawing for that flash drive. And remember that I will be taking the month of August off. We have plenty to offer you for the month of July. Take care, guys. 